you're listening to Adulthood Academy. I'm your host, Angela Hatchie. This community is a resource for all those adulthood things many of us were never formally taught. That's all the stuff from learning to handle your finances to navigating different relationships. It's all in here. I've spent years working to figure out adulthood, feeling like I was shooed out into the world wholly underprepared. Since then, I've gotten myself out of debt and prepared myself financially for my future, learned to cook and bake pretty good stuff, and learned to start saying important things out loud in all kinds of relationships. There is far more ahead to learn than there is behind, and that's what I'm here for, to foster this community of perpetual go-getters who are working to fulfill their potential in every facet of life. Thank you so much for listening. Let's get in there. Hello, hello, my friends. Welcome to another episode of Adulthood Academy. It's fantastic to have you here. Hope you had a good week. This week we're talking about something only 30% or so of people, Americans, claim to understand um, is the Fed and how it impacts your life. And I know it can be kind of like a daunting topic and you really can go down the rabbit hole on the Fed and dig into their monetary policy and all the other ways that they have their hand in the U.S. economy, the global economy, your personal life, your business life. And I also have some book recommendations I'm going to give you at the end of this episode too. Um, So it's going to be a doozy of an episode that I hope you walk away with a better understanding of how the Fed like works, what their main goals are as a organization and how it impacts your life and your business. Um, we are in a time right now where like the housing market is crazy and the Fed basically puts out policies that affect that. And we're going to get into that too. So the Federal Reserve has a very significant impact in your life, in your business. And not many of us were formally taught about what the Fed does, how they make that monetary policy, the cost of purchasing a home and so much more. So join me today. We're going to break down the functions of the Federal Reserve and how that relates to your life specifically. Now, before we get into it, let's talk about Wealthy Weekend. I have been doing these for newer business owners, so we will get everything done in a weekend. So it's a great way if you are feeling unorganized with your finances or you just don't even know where to start. Organizing your business finances will put together a plan. I will help you lay everything out so you can figure out what income you have coming in for the next few months which also helps you in a variety of ways. Like if you are pricing your offers and you're not really sure where to price them, it also is really helpful for that because you can understand what your business expenses are, what your personal expenses are, and then consequently how much you need to price your offers or services at and how much capacity you can take on every month and make realistic projections for your business, for your personal life. And I will help you get all of it organized. We'll put together a budgeting plan. I will show you the process of how I do this for myself every month and how I do like 10 minute check-ins every week to just stay on track. I do my books, I do my income projections, business expenses, all that good stuff so that it's a consistent process and I will give you all of those tools so you can do it on your own. So if you're interested in a wealthy weekend, you are a newer business owner, you're trying to make the leap from a full-time job to your business or you still have a side hustle, or you have your business and a part-time job, whatever it is, it's a great way to manage all of those things because, listen, I know what that's like. I've had two, three, four jobs while I try to build my business and it's like, can be so chaotic and it will really be helpful to like fine tune that, make it less overwhelming. So if you want 
um, one of those spots for Wealthy Weekend. The link to check out all the details and apply for it is in the show notes and of course on my website as well. And if you have questions about it, you know where to find me. Let's talk about the origins of the Fed, which I'm going to use the Fed, but it stands for the Federal Reserve. Basically, after you know, a series of financial panics in the United States, there seemed to be a need for a centralized power who could make and enforce rules and make monetary policy. After these financial panics in the U.S., you know, the, the Great Depression, the financial crisis, all of those things that have happened in the past, there was no protections on just your average person who was putting money in the bank or was investing or anything like that. And so there was a need for more structure in the financial world. Now, from the outset of this episode, I want to acknowledge that the Federal Reserve is a massive player in the U.S. economy, in the global economy, and global relations. And it's also one of the least understood institutions by the majority of the public. So I talked about in the very beginning of this episode how 70% of Americans report that they don't fully understand the Fed's interest rate policies. That's a huge amount of people for the impact that the Fed has on your life, on your business, and on the economy for people not to understand it. And truthfully, I think it's done on purpose because it's so confusing. And I think that it's meant to be confusing. So people are just like, I, it's too much for me. I can't pay attention to it. So I'm going to give you like the basics of what you need to know. And then uh, some resources for further research if you're interested in that. Because once you go down the hole, like the rabbit hole on the Fed, there's really the potential to have your mind just blown. <laughs> because if you do some general skimming on the internet, you're going to get a general idea for the basics, which is what we're going to cover in this episode. But you'll also encounter a ton of like financial jargon and mumbo jumbo that you and I would have to spend quite some time learning about, researching, investigating. And I think that's the point. It's supposed to be confusing to make sure you read it and you go, okay, I'm not really sure what that means. And then you move on. So if you go to like the Federal Reserve website, it's like reading through a legal contract. It's very difficult to understand if you're not versed in legal jargon and you don't have a foundation of knowledge. So as somebody who's studying to be a financial planner, it's very it's still very confusing to me and I have to read through and like look up certain words and what does this mean and really like get into the details of it. And I still don't really understand everything that they do um, because it's worded and proposed in such a dense way that it's like you really would ha could spend like your entire life studying the Fed and going down the rabbit hole and still you'd be like, I could learn some more things. So I'm going to give you some book recommendations at the end of this episode if you're one of those people who want to go down that rabbit hole. And essentially, like that deep, dark rabbit hole consists of the many ways the Fed and the U.S. government work together to do everything from manipulating the money system in this country, which we're going to talk about in this episode, to the Fed's responsibility in the Great Depression, because again, they enact policy with money that extends the life of depressions or recessions, but they can also enact policy that shortens them. And so they just kind of have their hand in so many things that your average everyday person doesn't really know about or understand. So please keep in mind, like I'm not proposing 
conspiracy theories or trying to make this episode more interesting than it really is. But I think that spending time reading and learning about what that the Fed does on a national and international level is really important for every citizen to have at least a basic understanding of. But we're not focusing on all that other kind of juicy stuff. This episode is all about the basics of the Fed and how their monetary policies affect your personal and business life. The Fed has a couple main things that they do as it relates to your life. Those few things are, the first is to manage inflation and maintain stable prices. And this is probably the area as it relates to your life the closest because their main goal is to maintain a 2% inflation average, meaning they're trying to keep the inflation rate around 2% because they don't want it to go too high, they don't want it to go too low. Obviously, this is a crucial this is crucial because a rising inflation directly impacts your lifestyle and your ability to maintain your standard of living. If the cost of education and housing and medical is rising at a crazy rate, it's really difficult for wages to keep up and for you and your family to afford basic living expenses. So as we can see with the housing market right now, it's kind of pricing a lot of first-time homebuyers out of the market because the prices are rising so high and the Fed is keeping the interest rates for taking out mortgages so low. So it makes it so people are paying $50,000 in cash over asking prices to get in on those low interest rates. So their main job is to keep that inflation rate around 2%. How do they do this? They have two options. One is expansionary monetary policy and the other is contractionary monetary policy. The first one is expansionary policy. This is when the Fed lowers those interest rates, which means it makes taking out loans easier and more attractive. It reduces unemployment and it promotes business growth. Because basically if the interest rates on homes or for business loans or for banks borrowing from one another are really low, it allows people to borrow money and put it back into the economy. So think about, again, the housing market for the past year or so. The Fed sets those interest rates. As the economy has essentially been coming back online after COVID, they want to encourage people to go out and spend more money. So if they keep the interest rates super low, people start going back to work, people are working remotely so they can move around, they don't have to live in the state where they have the job or the city where they have the job. There's an incentive for people to buy now while the interest rates are super low. And it's the same thing with business owners. With business loans, by keeping the rates on taking out a business loan really low, it again incentivizes individuals to take out loans to start their businesses or gives bigger companies the incentive to take out a loan to put back into their business, buy equipment, outsource things, all that good stuff. So this expansionary policy is enacted when the economy is kind of stalled out and people need that incentive to go out, spend money, put it back into the economy. Hopefully that makes sense. And I'm just going to, in conclusion, expansionary policy, if the economy is stalled out, they need people to go out and spend money and put it back into the economy. So they incentivize people by keeping the interest rates really low and making it attractive for you to go out and buy a house, buy a car, borrow money from the bank and put that money back into the economy. The second way that they maintain or manipulate the inflation rate is the contractionary policy. The Fed raises the interest rates, makes taking out loans not as attractive and more expensive, which slows down the economy and keeps prices lower. 
they enact this kind of monetary policy when inflation is taking hold. Prices are rising and the economy is, as they say, super hot or they say overheating, meaning lots of money is being spent and used in the economy, which means more dollars are available for the same amount of goods and services, which is inflation, right? If we have $100 available in the economy and we have the same amount of goods and services, and then we blow $1 million into the economy instead of that $100, but we still have the same amount of goods and services, that's how inflation happens because there are more dollars available for the same amount of goods and services so they can charge more money, right? So this contractionary policy is enacted in times like today, which is where kind of like the controversy, if you're following any of the news with the Fed right now, is they basically made projections about what inflation was going to be as the economy basically gets started again, gets kickstarted. We also have inflation that's kind of higher than they expected or is higher than they expected. So they came out with their reports, I think last month or the month before, saying that their estimates for inflation are lower than what's actually happening. And then more recently, they came out again um, and said that the inflation rate is going to continue for longer than they originally projected as well. So if we take what we just learned about <clears throat> expansionary and contractionary policy, if we're thinking about how the economy is in a period of inflation right now, and we can think about where we are in the current state of the economy, right? There's inflation taking hold. There's been a lot of spending, meaning lots more dollars are coming into the economy for the same amount of goods and services, which is what's causing that inflation in the first place. And then we are spending more money in our government budget. We sent out stimulus checks. We are just spending a ton of money right now. And so that puts us into a place where the Fed should be enacting contractionary policy, right? Because if the economy is getting super hot right now, because there's more money in it than before, and we have inflation taking hold, they should be enacting higher interest rates. But they are not doing that right now. You can read more about it. I'm going to give you all the sources at the bottom. And it kind of is contradictory to what they should be doing. So they're still keeping those interest rates for homes super low. They're still keeping business loan percentages super low. They're still keeping bank to bank borrowing of money interest rates super low when what we know about monetary policy says that the Fed should be raising that interest rate to slow down the economy and to kind of get that inflation back in check. So, um, to be determined what they're going to decide to do, but so far they said that they're going to keep up with their current monetary policy, and maybe that will change in the future as they have more data available to them. But again, I'm going to give you the resources and the sources to check that out on your own. But now that you know like the, the basics of them making policy and how that works when the economy is in a particular state, it will make the reading of their policy a little bit more informative to you. The next thing that the Fed does and one of their responsibilities is to provide services to the federal government. Now, the Federal Reserve and the federal government are two separate entities, or they are not the same thing. The Fed has a network of 12 Federal Reserve banks, and these banks serve the U.S. Treasury by doing a variety of things, one of which is selling U.S. bonds. So you may have heard something like, 
the Fed monetizes the debt of the U.S. government. And usually this is said in the context of explaining how the government is managing its excessive spending. This means when the Fed, which is the U.S.'s central bank, wants to convert some of the debt of the U.S. government to credit or cash, the Fed buys up U.S. bonds, treasuries, notes, and then they issue basically a credit, which is like an IOU to the institution that they bought those bonds, treasuries, notes from. That credit or IOU is treated just like cash, even though no money has exchanged hands and no new money has been printed. So basically the Fed is coming to an institution and they're like, hey, we're going to buy a thousand U.S. bonds from you, but we're not going to give you any money. We're just going to give you a credit and you can use that credit as cash. I know that this sounds super confusing. <laughs> Here's a, uh, an even simpler explanation. So the Fed is taking U.S. treasuries out of circulation by purchasing, right? Purchasing them. And therefore, they're making the remaining treasuries more available. So if there are, let's say, hypothetically, a thousand U.S. treasuries available and the Fed purchases 800 of them and just holds them, that means there's only 200 left in circulation. So it makes those remaining 200 more valuable and kind of boosts that um, price. Then, after buying those up, a further incentive is that the interest rate on those remaining treasury bills are kept super low, which encourages people to buy them up. In that way, the Fed is essentially turning that debt into quote-unquote money that banks can now lend borrowers like you and me. Now, I know it sounds a bit like a very strange debt money-making laundering scheme, it kind of is, but it's all legal and endorsed by the federal government. There are, of course, quite a few critiques on the Federal Reserve, and if you want to read more about it, I will give you those uh, book recommendations uh, in the show notes and at the end of this episode too. So now that we have an understanding of how the Fed works to monetize the U.S. debt, right? They buy up Treasury so that there's only a limited amount left, and then they keep the interest rate really low on those so other people want to buy them. And then they have IOUs to the institutions that they bought their treasuries from. And then they issue those credits or those IOUs to whoever they bought them from. And they don't create any extra money. So they're kind of making a roundabout loophole on not creating any more money and just giving IOUs to people while monetizing the debt and then selling it back to us, basically. Um, so let's talk about who owns the majority of that U.S. debt. And I think you'd be surprised to find out, I certainly was, that the public, you and I, owns 78% of the U.S. debt. How is that possible, considering you've never bought, like, bailed out the government from their debt? Let me explain. Most people think it's foreign powers like Japan or China who we owe our debt to. While that is true, we do owe quite a bit of money to foreign countries to the tune of about $1,000 billion to each of those countries. $1,000 billion. That's a lot of money. The majority of the debt owed by the U.S. is to its own citizens in the form of Social Security. So this is the workaround that they have for just creating, that's again in quotation marks, creating more money by monetizing U.S. debt 
and then putting that burden back on its citizens. So in terms of debt and social security, right? We just talked about how the majority of US debt is owed to the citizens in the form of social security. Half of the total debt is money that's being held for retirement for people like you and me. Retirement funds, pensions, that kind of thing. So you might be thinking, how is retirement money debt? Um, All the years that you've been contributing to Social Security and having that chunk of money taken out of your paycheck, it's not sitting like in a special box with your name on it that's ready when you retire. There would be massive problems if the U.S. defaulted on its debt. The foreign countries that we just talked about that we owe money to would not be happy, but everybody, you and I included, who's been contributing to Social Security would be hurting pretty badly and very upset, I can imagine, because if you are contributing your entire life to Social Security and relying on it as part of your retirement plan, it's actually in debt and it's not um, an asset that the government has been holding for you. So some solutions to this problem proposed by the Fed are raising the retirement age to 69 or increasing your taxes or decreasing the benefits that are going to be paid out. Now let's think about that, right? So the government and the Fed have been working together, taking money out of every check that you have ever made and putting it towards Social Security, which is a debt. They have then been monetizing that debt, which is to say buying U.S. bonds, securities, treasuries, giving the institutions an IOU, without creating any more money and just having it as a credit that they can then sell back to us in the form of a loan. I know it's very confusing (laughs) and I'm trying to make it as simple as possible. Um, So the solutions that they have to their own mismanagement basically of that money is just raising your retirement age because the longer that you and I are working, right? the more taxable income they have and the more money that they can put into those programs like social security. So the Fed, the Fed obviously has like very clear boundaries about what they have the power to do. But as you can see in that example, I just gave you like, we'll just raise the retirement age to 69 or we will increase your taxes or we'll just decrease the amount of money that is going out to you, regardless of how much money you put into social security. It has its repercussions. The longer people work, the more taxable income the federal government has to work with and to fund their mismanagement of the budget or their monetizing of U.S. debt. And this is why I'm such an advocate for people educating themselves in all things personal finance, right? Like, I don't know if you knew this information or not before this episode, but it has to at least like grind your gears a little bit that just like people in a room are deciding how long you get to work because they took your money and then turned it into debt and then tried to buy it back from themselves and then try to monetize it. And then they're just going to say, oh, just make the people work longer so that we can get more money out of them to put back into the system. (laughs) So it's ultimately a group of strangers in a room deciding what age you should work until. And they mismanage your tax money. They make errors in monetary policy. They take out too much debt and then they try to fix those problems by asking you to work longer to recoup that money and to fund other programs. So taking responsibility for your finances is one of 
the best things you can do for yourself and for your family because you don't need the Fed or the federal government to tell you when you can retire. You can do that whenever you've saved enough money to do so. It's an arbitrary number that somebody in a room just had a calculator and they were like, how long do we need people to work on average to fund our social security or to put enough money into social security because we accidentally turned it into debt? And they were like, beep, boop, beep, boop, 69. <laughs> we need to make them work four to five years longer, and we'll just keep bumping it up so that we have more taxable income. So how does this affect your life? Because having this base of knowledge is going to help inform some of your larger life decisions. If there's a recession, you'll pretty easily be able to predict what the Fed's monetary policy. A recession equals the Fed lowering interest rates so they can promote spending in the economy. So let's do an example. Let's say you're saving to buy a home, and you don't have a specific timeline on when you'll be buying. If you're paying attention to the market in general, the state of the economy, and you understand the Fed's monetary policy, you can continue to save for your down payment on a home and be ready to purchase when the next downturn in the economy happens and you'll get a fantastic interest rate on your mortgage because if it's the next recession and you've been saving and you're prepared for it, the interest rates are going to lower because the Fed is making their monetary policy and you can get in with a great interest rate on your house. If you're saving for a home and you don't know or understand how the Fed sets and decides what their monetary policy is, you may be buying a home at the peak of interest rates or when the housing market is going crazy, when in just a few months they may be lowering it again. And while interest rates on mortgages can sometimes only be you know, a 1% difference, like let's say it's 2.5% and then it gets raised to 3.5%, that 1% doesn't feel like a huge difference, but over the lifetime of your mortgage, it makes a massive difference. Let's do an example with that 1% difference in interest rate. You buy a home for $300,000 with a 2.5 interest rate and a 30-year mortgage. Assuming you put 20% down on that house, you're going to spend $101,000 in just interest with that 2.5 interest rate, okay? So $101,000 in interest. If you buy that same home, you put the same 20% down, but the interest rate is now raised, that 1%, from 2.5 to 3.5%, you're going to be paying $148,000 in interest. That's an extra $47,000 you're going to pay over the life of your loan from just a single percentage change in your interest rate. Obviously, if the home is more money, if it's $500,000, $800,000, and that 1% interest rate is going up, you can imagine that percentage and interest you're going to be paying over the life of your loan grows exponentially. So that's one very direct way that the Fed affects your life. We also talked about how the Fed works to stabilize inflation, which of course affects your personal life. We're currently sitting in a time in history with the highest inflation rate in 13 years. I'm sure you've seen it impact your life in a couple ways, the price of gas, the meat at the grocery store, the housing market, and so much more. It's one of the Fed's main responsibilities to keep that inflation at around 2%, and they use that expansionary contractionary monetary policies we covered earlier in the episode to maintain that percentage as best as they can. Now let's talk about how it affects your business. If you are a business owner or you want to start a business, it also has a direct impact in that because it they make the policy 
in regards to the interest on bank loans, including business loans. So their policy works the same in this instance. If the economy is stalled out and they need citizens to go out and borrow and spend money, they bring those interest rates down to encourage you to borrow money, help get the economy back on track. If you're thinking about starting a business or you currently own a business that you need to take out a business loan for, this would certainly be something to take into consideration. Just the same as it would be if you were going to buy a house, you were going to take out a personal loan from a bank or a small business loan. That monetary policy affects all of those things. So if you're saving money to start a business or you're growing yours and you foresee that you might need some of those um, resources or those loans, understanding that monetary policy from the Fed is going to help you make an informed decision for you and your business um, and obviously your personal life. And just at the end of this episode, I just want to touch on one of the other main things that the Fed is responsible for is keeping the unemployment rate as low as possible. And they do that with those interest rates as well by either enacting expansionary policy or contractionary policy. It also affects the unemployment rate as well. So those are their main areas where they focus. And as you can hopefully understand from the end of this episode, the Fed directly impacts your life and your business. And 70% of Americans report having a difficult time understanding what those interest rate policies are. So I'm hoping that at the end of this episode, you have a better understanding of those expansionary policies, those contractionary policies, and how the Fed enacts them during certain stages of the economy. If the economy is super hot, if the economy is inflated and the currency is inflated, knowing that they implement monetary policy based on that, or if the economy is kind of stalled out and they want to get people going and spending more money, how do they enact monetary policies in regards to that? So here's where you can keep up with what monetary policy the Fed is making. And I'm going to put all of these links in the show notes. Um, but if you just go to federalreserve.gov slash monetary policy, you can find them there. Um, and you will be able to find their latest monetary policy. Um, Currently, they're going through um, in Congress and they're like talking about what their monetary policy is going to be. I highly recommend you keep tabs on that. Not like every day, but occasionally, especially if you are going through a big life change, if you're going to buy a house, if you're going to borrow money from the banks, um, or if you're just interested in uh, getting out of a recession, (laughs) that would be important information also. And then I also have um, sources from this episode that I will link in the show notes as well. So one of them is about that social security trust fund history we talked about um, and how they're monetizing the social security debt. Um, And also I have another source which talks about how the Fed is going to keep their stance, their monetary policy stance, even though they continue to see that the inflation is rising at a rapid rate when they should be uh, enacting contractionary policy to kind of slow things down, but they're just going to maintain whatever their policy is right now. I have that link for you. And then I have more information about who owns the U.S. national debt too, which um, is those countries we talked about, Japan, China, a couple other ones, but also 78% of it is owned by the citizens. So I have those sources for you. Um, and I would love for you to read more about it and get a better understanding. Let me give you those book recommendations too at the end. There are a good amount of books on the Federal Reserve. Um, Some of them have been written by people who have served on um, the Federal Reserve, have been the head of the Federal Reserve, so you can get kind of like an inside look at how it operates. So 
There is the history of the Federal Reserve. So a great like neutral place to start is the history of the Federal Reserve. And there are, of course, two volumes for that, if you want to read through that. Um, and then one that is on the side of like the Federal Reserve is not doing great things. And that one's called End the Fed. And then the last recommendation I have is called The Creature from Jekyll Island, which gives you a really good introduction to the kind of rabbit hole you can go down in terms of like how the Federal Reserve pay played a part in the Great Depression or in foreign wars or in domestic uh, altercations and all kinds of stuff. So if you're interested in those, I will also put those in the show notes just so you can remember the title. If you're a visual person like me, um, those will be the, there for you too. Again, I hope this was really helpful in just like understanding the basics of how the Federal Reserve works, the monetary policy, what their main responsibilities are, and then also the next steps for you if you want to read more about it, you're interested in it, or you just want to keep up with like what the monetary policy that the Fed is enacting, um, because I feel like that's a really important aspect of the economy that maybe not our average people or person um, keeps up with or really understands that when a economy is stalled out or when it's overheating or inflation is taking hold, what happens and who's in control of doing those things because the Federal Reserve, that is their main thing. Okay, so thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Um, I hope you guys had an amazing week. You have something fun planned for the weekend. I'm just going to enjoy the sunshine myself. It's finally like cool down here. It's not over 100 degrees. It was like 105 degrees last week and it was just like, oh, it was horrible. And of course, our air conditioner went out and it was just like so much sweating happening, <laughs> but we got it fixed and it like is finally cooling off. So that's fantastic. I'm um, going to get some outdoors time and do some reading. I got a few good books that I'm excited about. So I just hope you're having a great weekend and have some fun things to look forward to. So thanks so much for listening and I will see you on the next episode.